Good morning, everyone. This is All People's Church. We're coming to you from Flagstaff, Arizona. This is Memorial Day weekend. Today is June 29th, 2022. May 29th. May 29th, 2022. We are continuing with our verse-by-verse study of 2 Corinthians. We are in chapter 8 today. The theme of our lesson today is found in verse 4, from which I take the title of our lesson, and it is a phrase from that verse, and it is fellowship of the ministering to the saints. The primary idea is found in verse 14 of the same chapter, but an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. He uses the word equality twice in that one verse. And so that is our key word today, equality. The golden verse is found in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Today we're going to start by reading the 8th chapter, and the members of All People's Church will begin reading. Twyla? Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with such urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we have had hope, but that first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. For we urge Titus that as he had begun, so that he would also complete this grace in you as well. That as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the serenity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give you advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you, you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there must also must be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, 
but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother who prays is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but he also chosen by the churches who travel with us with this gift which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself to show yourself ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in the lavish gifts, which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence in which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show them and before churches the proof of your love and our boasting on your behalf. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word. For those of you who are joining us by podcast, you may wonder why we read all of the scriptures, because we're going to also dive into them verse by verse. Well, my goal as pastor is that you would hear it three times. You'll hear it once as it's read by the members of the church. Second time, you'll hear it as Denise reads it for me. And then often I will read parts of it again a third time. So the idea is to get the word in you. One of the things that I've told the church over many months is that there is a scripture that says the word of God washes us. And so we want to be washed by the word. And when I think about washing of the word, I think about the fact that it reorients our thinking. There's so many things that are distorted in life, but the word of God is truth and it can readjust our way of thinking if we hear And if we incorporate the Word of God into our lives. So that's the reason. There is thought put behind the fact that we go through the Word like we do. It's for all of our benefit. It should help us grow and definitely will wash our minds. And hopefully get rid of some of the junk that we've heard this week that that is ungodly or that distorts the truth. That kind of thing. So this is very beneficial. And so don't ever minimize the importance of reading God's word. Let's go back now, Denise, to verse 1, please. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Verse 2. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Paul is talking about the church in Macedonia. Note in verse 2, he says that in a great trial of affliction, I underlined that, and then he says abundance of their joy and then their deep poverty. Let's talk about that for a minute. The Macedonians were also Greeks, but lived inland. No doubt they were mainly farmers, olive growers, or herders, or things like that. Very likely, they did not have the same opportunities of trade similar to the Greeks who lived along the coast in those great cities such as Athens and Corinth. This plus other current difficulties, that is, he said, great trial of affliction, probably accounted for their deep poverty. Paul is, he's setting up the discussion that he's about to have with the Corinthians, and he's pointing out that the Macedonians were a very poor part of Greece. Secondly, 
The level of giving by the Macedonians was such a sacrifice that Paul described it as the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. He considered it a grace or in, an enablement of God that they were able to and wanted to give this gift. Verse 3 and 4. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And right there is the title to our lesson today in verse 4. Fellowship of the ministering to the saints. We're going to flesh that idea out. That is going to be the focus of this chapter. What accounted for their urgency to give? And I put urgency in quotes. It is unknown to us. Possibly Paul mentioned the hardships and suffering of the church in Jerusalem, or possibly he mentioned he wanted to take it as soon as possible. Note the wording, fellowship of the ministering to the saints. There is a bond, a real fellowship that develops between the giver and the receiver between those who support with offerings and prayer and those who physically perform the Lord's work. You know, I don't know about the rest of you, but those of you who attend our Thursday night prayer know that we are praying specifically for certain people that we know of that are involved in the war in Ukraine, either in the case of Oleg as a commander of forces there, or in the case of Oksana, his wife, we don't know their exact duties, but we pray for them. And because of that, we have begun to develop a bond with them. It's really strange, but we do. And in the same way, the ministries that we support, we begin to have, a, especially monetarily and in prayer, we begin to have a bond with them. We're interested in them. We keep up with what's happening in their ministry and in their lives, and we become friends in a way, even though that we don't converse with them on a weekly or a daily basis. But there's a bond, and that's what Paul is talking about here, the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Paul used similar wording in his letter to the Philippians. Twyla, would you read Philippians 1, 3 through 8? Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Jesus in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affliction of Jesus Christ. You'll notice that he says in verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel. He's talking to the Philippians who I believe were great supporters of his. 
And so he's talking to them about how important they are to him. If you'll go down to verse 7, I would like to highlight a phrase from that verse. He says, Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. So Paul had this very strong idea, which I agree with completely. It's, and I think we can all know that we develop that bond with those that we support. And Paul made it known to them. They were supporting him, but they were sharers in the grace. They were partakers of that grace. And let me just read it again. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He says, right here in prison with me. And when I stand before kings and other important government officials. And I'm defending the gospel. I'm explaining the gospel to them. He says, you're right there with me. You are all partakers with me of grace. Verse 5. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Now, Paul's talking about the Macedonians, and he said he was very pleased that the Macedonian church got things right and in the proper order. First, devotion to God, and then devotion to God's ministers, verse 6 and 7. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. This grace also. What is this grace also? Of course, he is talking about the grace of giving to those in need. Verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Paul is not commanding them. Do you see that? He says, I speak not by commandment. He says, I'm not commanding you. But rather, he's urging the Corinthians to compare their efforts to the sacrifices of churches with much fewer resources and wealth. In the last verse of chapter 7, he made the statement, I have confidence in you in everything. And he is letting it be known that his confidence in them also includes their willingness to give. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Okay, there's our golden verse for today. If there was no other reason to give, this would be enough, right? Let me read it to you again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Our debt to Christ is overwhelming. He told Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you want to do something for Jesus, shepherd and care for his followers. The way that we can do that is through our giving. We can support those who are in missionary endeavors. We can support those who are fulfilling some other ministry for the Lord's kingdom. Just like I mentioned today, Voice of the Martyr magazine, you know, that organization, it works to help those that are being persecuted for Christ. So they're doing very beneficial work, and that is one of the things that we can do as Christians, acknowledge the fact that as Jesus 
gave up his riches and became poor for us. We also, through his gift, we who were poor have become rich. We also can give of ourselves to his work and his kingdom. Verse 10. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. Paul speaks to them as a father would speak to his children. He says, and in this I give advice, it is to your advantage. Isn't that the way a father speaks to his sons or his daughters. He says, I want to give you some advice and it's going to be for your good. It appears from the words a year ago that this is an ongoing fundraising effort by Paul. He may have appealed over time to the Corinthians and many other churches concerning the persecuted church of Jerusalem. Verse 12, 13, and 14. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. Now we're getting into the heart of the lesson. We're getting into the meat of this chapter. In these three verses, there's three principles of giving. These are really important. If you're taking notes, this is where you want to get busy with your pencil or pen. There's two do-nots in this, and there's one do. <laughs> I'll put it like that. Let's go with verse 12. This is a do-not. Do not borrow to give. I'm going to read verse 12 to you again. For if there is a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what he does not have. Do not borrow to give. If you want to give, it is understood that you can only give from what you have. Do not borrow from the future by going into debt to give. That's the first rule. To me, these are common sense, if you will. There's a lot of distorted teaching about giving in the Christian world. I am doing my very best today to correct that, to give you the truth from the gospel, from the, from the written epistles how to give. So the first one is, do not borrow to give. If anyone encourages you to get out your credit card and, and run the balance of that credit card up, I want you to be very careful. I don't think that is godly advice. I would be very suspicious of motives in a case like that, and it's definitely not according to the scriptures. Verse 13 is another do not. Verse 13 says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. What does he mean by that? Paul very plainly indicates that equality is the goal. My take on that verse, my do not is do not overburden yourself. Everyone should share the burden. If you take too much upon yourself, you cause the proper burden of others to be eased. Equality of burden, I put that in quotation marks. Equality of burden takes into account that there are times when individuals and churches have an abundance and times when they have a deficit or a lack. That's the way life is. That is just normal. There are times when churches are going to be financially pressed and there's going to be times when churches have an abundance. 
If we share the burden equally, it should, it should smooth out the ups and downs. We definitely do not want an overgiving person or church to be on the needy list in a short time. And that's what can happen. If you overgive a month or a year or two years from now, you're going to be the one that's going to need help. And the, a church could be the same way. The idea of giving in God's kingdom has been and still is that everyone should share proportionately according to their means. Overgiving by the leadership of a church or by the husband or wife of a family can lead to discouragement of those making sacrifices to meet the remaining budget. I'm going to use myself as an example, if you will, for just a moment. I like to give. I want to give. And it's very easy for me to overgive. So here's the deal. If I overgive, that means that that money is going to have to come out of a different part of our family budget. And if I do that to the point where I am taking grocery money to give to other people, then my wife is going to be the one that is going to have a difficult time trying to put food on the table because she's the one that takes care of that part of our household. She purchased the foods that she knows that she needs for the meals for the coming month. So if I take money out of her grocery budget, then she can be discouraged. Can you see that? She can think, well, you're helping all these other people and now you're putting all of the pressure on me. Or if I did that to another part of the budget that I have charge of, I t normally take care of the repair of the home and the cars, tr the car and truck and that kind of thing. And if I impact my budget so much that I cannot repair our vehicles, then once again, I'm putting myself under duress. But you can see that all of a sudden now I've made myself needy and now I need other people's help. That's not the way we want to approach giving. The second do not is do not overburden yourself. We're talking about equality here, okay? That's the point. That's what Paul's trying to, to get across. The third principle that comes from these three verses is do give, this is the do, do give proportionately to your income. The poor especially should not give more than their fair share. The giving of the tithe was an Old Testament law. Listen to me now. Okay, and let me just stop for a second. There are those of you that are hearing this lesson today, and I'm talking about not just our church by any means. I'm talking about on the internet. And some of you, anytime a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist, or a missionary begins to talk about money, you immediately close down. In fact, from that moment on, it's like you're not there. You have completely shut off the minister because of some perceived disagreement that you may have about money. And what I'm asking you today is don't do that because all I'm going to be talking to you about today is what is the truth of the scriptures. Just hang with me. We're going to talk intermittently about the tithe but listen to what I said again before you shut me down. The poor especially should not give more than their share. The giving of the tithe was an Old Testament law. 
and listen to me now, it is not repeated again in the New Testament as a required amount. I acknowledge that. However, however, it can be used as a guide to inform your giving. It takes disciplined living and good planning to give 10%. And I'm talking about people of ample means. It takes good planning and disciplined living to give 10%. But it is especially difficult for those of moderate means or less. I mean, if you're living on a tight budget, if you're a husband and a wife and you have three or four children and you're especially if the wife doesn't work, but even if she works, unless both of you are really high wage earners, you are going to have to really be on your game to be able to give 10%. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take a lot of planning, and you're going to have to be frugal. I mean, you're going to have to be careful with how you spend your money. For people of moderate means or less, it can be a real sacrifice to give 10%, and I acknowledge that. But if everyone gives proportionally according to their income, all the needs of the church will be met, and there will be surplus to share with needy Christians around the world. Now, I don't normally like to talk about Denise and I. I feel like it's incumbent upon me to begin to just give you a little background. Denise and I have been tithing Except for a few weeks of our marriage at the very beginning, we have been tithing faithfully for 40 plus years now. Can I tell you that I learned to tithe as a child? I used to mow yards. One of the yards I mowed was for my grandparents who were ministers. And when my grandmother would pay me at the end of my job, she paid me $3. She would look me straight in the eye and she'd say, 30% of, uh, she would say, 30 cents of that belongs to the Lord. <laughs> so when your grandmother says, okay, buddy, you owe 30 cents of that back to the church, you know, you just don't think about it too much. You just do it. And because of that, I never earned money without thinking that 10% of it went to the Lord. So there's some people in this world, they feel very put upon when they, with the idea of giving 10%. And again, I'm not, that's not what I'm teaching, by the way. You got to hang in here with me for a minute. I'm talking about me, talking about me and Denise. We have always given 10%. Was it easy? No. <laughs> There's been some times when it was a struggle to not to give the 10%. We were always, we always planned to give it. It was always off the top. We always paid off the gross. It some people, there's a big discussion, and I know that in Christian circles, about whether if you are going to tithe, are you going to tithe off the gross or the net? Guys, we just put that to rest. We always tithe off the gross. You make your own decision. And I'm going to be talking about that here in just a minute, about making your own decision. There were times when we did struggle we did without for many, I would just have to say many years. We saw our peers. We saw some of our family that lived in a much more luxurious lifestyle than we did. But we never, if I can just say for myself, and I'm not going to put Denise on the spot here, but we, I don't believe we ever felt poor. Maybe, am I, is that wrong? 
Let me I rephrase. Felt poor. <laughs> she felt poor. Okay. <laughs> okay. There were times when it we lived very, very uh, moderately, but I never felt like we were put upon because what we were doing, I felt, was supporting the work of the Lord. The flip side of that is there is a strong blessing that comes from God when you are faithful to give to his work. The flip side of the fact that we lived in a very moderate manner and we did without things for a while that others had before us. Not, not big things, guys. I'm not talking about big, luxurious things, but I'm just talking about things that were common to, to people in those decades that we were living in. But there came a time when the blessings of God were strong enough in our lives that we were able to, to catch up, I guess you would say. Can I also encourage you, if you're thinking about your own giving and whether you want to adjust your giving, read the, the promises of God. There's many in the Old Testament about tithing. And I believe that while they're not repeated necessarily in the New Testament, I believe that it gives an indication of God's, the way He operates the way he takes into account your sacrifice for him. One of the things that Denise and I have been, that could be said about us, is that a lot of our things last a long time. They do. I think that's a blessing from God. Even right now, Denise is driving a car that's 24 years old. It looks brand new, but it's 24 years old, and my truck is 21 years old, I think. We just completed a 4,000-mile trip in that truck and had no issues whatsoever. I consider that a blessing from God. There, I could go through a lot of things in that regard, but suffice to say, it's not a one-way street in the sense that it's not all sacrifice. God says, I'll bless you if you'll do this. And we're not going to go through all of the tithing scriptures today, and I'm not asking anyone for a tithe. But what I am asking you to do is to do what Paul is saying. And let me repeat these, these three principles that I think come from verses 12, 13, and 14. Verse 12, I think he's indicating, do not borrow to give. Do not borrow to give. I want to say ever. I'm not going to say ever, but I really feel strongly. Do not borrow to give. Number two, do not overburden yourself. Don't overgive. The idea here is that there's an equality of giving. It's based on your ability and not on somebody else's ability. It's on what, you, what you're paid and not what someone else is paid. Do not overburden yourself. And then number three, and this comes from verse 14, is do give proportionately to your income. Verse 15, Denise. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. This is another verse to hammer home the idea of equality. This is taken from Exodus 16th chapter, 18th verse, and concerns the gathering of manna in the wilderness. Sometime today, if you want to get the whole story, that's where Paul is taking this statement from. They were to gather it according to their need. God's plan was for 
them all to share equally in the food he provided. Sufficiency for everyone was his goal. Verses 16 and 17. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus, for he did not Excuse me, for he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. Verse 18 and 19. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Paul is eager to help the Christians in Jerusalem and is planning to travel to Jerusalem with this group. That's what it appears from what he's saying. Verse 20. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. We're about to send a very sizable offering to Jerusalem. He says, avoiding this. He says, we don't want any blame from anybody about what's going to happen. This shows wisdom and forethought. Everything we do as Christians and as a church should be above board. Let me say that again. Everything we do as Christians, everything we do as Christians and as a church should be above board. There should never be a hint of impropriety. That's what Paul's talking about. This is very Christ-like in my opinion. It reminds me of Jesus instructing Peter to pay the poll tax for himself and Peter. Don't do things that would cause the gospel to be evil spoken of. Don't do things that when you're asked questions about it by a reporter that you can't answer truthfully and fully. <clears throat> Don't do things that are going to cast a bad light on the gospel. For example, in America, we have specific laws governing nonprofits. It is our responsibility to scrupulously adhere to those laws. Verse 21. Providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Okay, Paul is continuing this idea. This is a key remark, providing honorable things. I put that in quotation marks. As disciples, let us realize that both goals, doing things honorably and right in the sight of the Lord and men, are easily met by adhering to three principles. Again, you know, I told you that we were getting into the meat of this chapter, and this is more of that meat. The first thing is, keep good records. What did Paul say? He says, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So the first thing you do as a church, as a minister, as a, a nonprofit that takes offerings from, from others, the first thing you do is you keep good records. The second thing you do, you entrust the oversight of the funds to godly people and trustworthy financial professionals. In modern times, this includes the church board of directors, the treasurer, and when appropriate, bookkeepers and or, and or CPAs. And you say, well, what do you mean when appropriate? When appropriate pertains primarily to the size of the church or the nonprofit. If anybody's tried to hire a CPA, you know this is not cheap. 
So you might want to have a CPA, but you may not be able to financially afford it. But when you can, you should have a CPA. Number three, allow your records to be examined by interested parties. What if a reporter from the local newspaper wants to see your books? Well, the first thing is you should be ready and willing to do it. When you do that, you anonymize the giving. I'm not saying that you put everybody's giving into the public domain. You anonymize their giving. But the way that you handle that money, you should be willing to show to any interested party. Transparency is the characteristic that divides those that say they are accountable and under authority and those that actually are. If you're really accountable and under authority, you will allow your books to be looked at. Verse 22. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. This verse contains the second principle. Insist that your monetary affairs are overseen by independent, mature, respected individuals. I can't tell you if he means Titus or another person from what he just said, but he says, we sent with them our brother whom we have often proved diligent. That's the key. Verse 23. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. In this case, Paul sent Titus representing his ministry team to the Corinthian church. Individual churches sent men they trusted to represent them. He is letting the church know Titus and these men have his complete confidence. This passage very much agrees with the principle of representative government in church affairs. See, this is not, you would think that this would be settled, this idea of representative church government would be settled in Christendom, in the, the organization and governing of churches, but it's not. This is one of the places where you could, could argue that the idea comes from. And the idea is this. We should govern our own affairs. Churches should govern their own affairs. Sometimes it will be convenient or necessary for all of us to vote on certain issues. But other times it makes sense to choose godly, mature people to represent our interests or to ensure oversight, as in this case. See, Paul is doing something that we can all agree with in modern society. We ought to take care to organize ourselves and govern ourselves and when it comes to oversight of money, we need to entrust it to godly, mature, responsible people. Verse 30, uh, 24. Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Paul says, therefore, just do it. <laughs> You've promised to do it. I want you to do it. He says, he talks to them as a father. He says, I'm giving you advice. This is to your advantage. You need to do this. In conclusion, Paul is challenging the Corinthians to do their part. Today, I'm challenging all Christians to do their part also. Everyone should give. I personally abide by the tithe. And you know, I said I was going to talk about the tithe, and I'm going to qualify all of that talking that I've done right now. I personally abide by the tithe. I plan my budget around it, and I put it on autopilot. 
I don't think about it each month. I don't agonize over it. I know already what I'm going to do. I do that first, and then the rest of the budget gets fleshed in after that. The good news for the churches we have attended in the past is that, is that they could depend on Denise and I to do our part, and then they could make their own budget for the church. If you object to the idea of tithing, this is not a requirement to be a member of All People's Church. I don't think less of people that don't tithe, but let me just tell you what I do think about it. If you object to the idea of tithing, my advice to you is to make your own giving a subject of your prayer time. By all means, give whatever the Holy Spirit directs you to give. Right? We live under grace. The Holy Spirit is our guide. To me, I felt confident that I was doing my share if I gave the tithe. The Holy Spirit has never indicated to me that, if anything, I think occasionally He's indicated to me not to overgive. But He's never indicated to me that, the tithe, that He wasn't okay with the tithe. In fact, it's been one of those things, once I finally decided it, and we, Denise and I started doing it, it's like that part of my life got pretty quiet. I never felt like the, the Lord had much to say to me about it. But if, if you say, well, I, I don't feel compelled to give the tithe, then what I'm saying is pray about it and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Because whatever He says to you, that's what you ought to do. He guides us in all areas of our life, right? He will guide you. If you ask, He will guide you in your giving. What I suggest to you is write it down. Whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do, write it down. Set it aside each month just like the tithers do. Avoid allowing yourself to be manipulated emotionally by people inside or outside the church. Be faithful. Be faithful. Even if you don't tithe, be faithful. If you find that you are a, a sporadic or forgetful giver, consider being a tither. It gets rid of all that. Prayerful planning and monthly budgeting, that is purposefully setting it aside, are keys to doing your fair share. Why are some who are not called into full-time ministry so bold as to endure hardship and privation in order to invest time and money to support others in the ongoing work of God's kingdom? Right? Have you met people like that? I have. Two of our dearest friends are like that. They suffer in order to give. I admire them. They've done without all, their whole married life because of that. And I admire them. I think the answer to why people give sacrificially like that can be found in verse 9 and many other verses scattered throughout the Old and New Testament. One I particularly like is one of the verses that we recently talked about. It's found in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, the 14th and 15th verses. Verse 14 says, for the love of Christ compels us. I highlighted and underlined that. I think for those people that are willing to give of themselves so much, if you pin them down, I think that they would say they feel compelled. The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Pray for the grace to share equally in meeting the needs of the church and God's people. Amen. Amen.
this message has been brought to you by All People's Church of Arizona. We are a virtual church headquartered in Flagstaff. If you have found this audio message to be useful and you would like to join us for our Sunday service, please find the Zoom link on our website at apcofaz.org. Our service starts at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. If you would like to know more about eternal life through Jesus, continue to listen for more information. The first and most important step to eternal life through Jesus is to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. It is an act of the will. The basics of salvation or reconciliation with God the Father can be summarized in three statements. First, you must understand that we are all spiritually dead, that is, separated from God, and cannot be reconciled to Him on our own. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and have no means to atone for our sins. We have no remedy. Second, you must believe in your heart that Jesus is the one sent by God. The Bible says in John 20.31, But these are written, speaking of the signs that Jesus did during his earthly ministry, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The sacrifice of his Son was God's plan for salvation for all humanity. Our only part in this plan is whether or not we will believe it and accept it. Third, confess with your mouth. In Romans 10, 9, and 10, it is written that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Essentially, this is very simple. It means you must pronounce your faith to God in prayer. There is no right prayer. Prayer is conversation. So say to God what is really in your heart. Many sample prayers include affirmative statements concerning the three points above, such as this one. Father in heaven, I have sinned against you. I have hurt other people and I've hurt myself. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Help me to love and live as a follower of Jesus should. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Finally, go to church on Sunday to strengthen your faith. Accepting Christ Jesus as your Savior is the first step, but the journey of faith is a long one. There is much to learn and you will need friends to help. We would love for you to attend All People's Church and become part of our fellowship. As noted above, it is as easy as clicking on the Zoom link found at apcofaz.org. Contact me by Facebook Messenger or by email at apcofarizona at protonmail.com for more information or to talk about faith in Jesus Christ. My prayers are with you, and I hope to hear from you. This concludes our message for today.